is Bloomberg Surveillance. If we put people back to work and drive the unemployment rate down, at some point that has to lead to wage growth. That's just first principles of economics. If wage growth continues to pick up, as I expect it will, the Fed's going to be increasingly uncomfortable having rates close to zero. As long as the American companies continue to hire and payrolls continue to expand, we'll be fine. And every indication is that they will. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Jobs Day. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. You heard from Robert Gordon, Alan Kruger, Michael Darda. Next, Mickey Levy of Berenberg Capital Markets. We are not Europe. We are not Japan. His optimism on our ability to move forward within this American economy. A very important program note, 1.30 this afternoon. Governor Romney will be interviewed by our Mark Halperin. This is without question the important political interview of the day. Halperin and Romney, worldwide radio and television. Look for that at 1.30 this afternoon. I did watch uh, Governor Romney's uh, remarks yesterday and uh, Mr. Trump's reaction to them. And uh, uh, one Mm -hmm. told the truth and one did not. Uh, we never give our opinion here as Michael never. McKee just skirted the uh, issues of the moment. Bloomberg Surveillance, uh, we're brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. Cone Resnick will provide your business with the industry insight it needs to succeed in a dynamic, econ- a dynamic economy. Sign up for Insight and find out how at ConeResnick.com, C-O-H-N-R-E-Z. N-I-C-K, ConeResnick.com, and we thank them for their support. This is wonderfully timed. Mickey Levy is one of our great students. He's not a Fed critic because he has too much respect for the institution, but he has always questioned the linkage of our theory to our actions uh, away from theory, as we've seen for the last seven or eight years. He is with Berenberg Capital Markets. Robert Gordon sitting in the chair you're in, uh, Dr. Levy, uh, within the hour, and he is adamant about his optimism on America, even without technological progress. Carry this further to the fear that America could become like Europe, or worse, become like Japan. You push against that. Well, the way I push against it is, you know, the potential growth is endogenous. I mean, if you put in place the right policies, which include, uh, put the Fed aside, when you put in place the right policies, tax and spending policies, how you allocate national resources, regulatory environment, you can, you can have very healthy potential growth and very healthy sustained job creation. If you put in place uh, lousy policies that deter uh, future planning and future investment, um, you know, then you're going to have very weak growth. So it's up to our policymakers, and I think that's the, the beginning and end of it. I, okay, I, wish, I wish the policymakers would really talk about the policies. But, but they don't, and they won't, and they aren't. So what can the Fed or anyone else do in the absence of that? Not much. Okay, so the, so the bottom line is, you know, monetary policy cannot by stimulating create permanent jobs, and it can't lift long-run potential growth. The ECB is obviously a, a financial backstop for Europe, but Europe has put in place, some countries have put in place reforms. In the United States, um, all of the you know 
disappointment about the, you know, the moderate rate of growth in the last six years has nothing to do with Fed policy. It has to do with other policies that are, you know, gumming up the, the credit channels and constraining, you know, business investment and, and planning for the future. Well, uh, what would you say to the argument that some people make that the Fed is in a way complicit with this situation because their extraordinary policies have enabled Congress and policymakers on the fiscal side to avoid doing anything? Mike, I, th- I think that's I think that's a very valid point. Um, we all know that the quantitative easing and 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 um, their all their efforts to keep bond yields low has kind of gotten Congress off the hook, so they haven't Congress hasn't been forced to reform. Also, I think there's this this broader problem that everybody, including policymakers, mm-hmm. financial markets. And the economic and financial media look to the Fed to solve all the problems, and they're not able to. If you look at the last six years, the Fed um, has not been able to stimulate aggregate demand in the economy. Help me with the idea that we've moved from 10% to 5% unemployment. Dean Mackey at 0.72 suggesting we get to the vicinity of 4.0. I saw one person quote a 3.9 out into the distance. My eye should feel better. Dr. Levy, why don't we feel better if the vector's in a wonderful direction? Well, I, I think that's a, a very valid question, and I, and I have a hard time answering it because, as you note, the unemployment rate has come down. U6 has, has come way, way down, um, adjusted for inflation. Of course, real wages um, ha- have been you know, increasing. Um, now, the, the, one of the questions is, um, who gets credit for this? And I, I would argue that we're just distancing ourselves from the financial mm-hmm. crisis. Um, and if you look at um, aggregate demand or nominal GDP growth, it hasn't been the Fed that that, 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 that could rightly take credit for all this. It's just the economy's growing uh, modestly. But yours is a good question. Um, the U.S. economy, we would like it to be growing faster, and I can think of some policies that would would really lift its rate of growth, but we're doing just a lot better than, than, than we have been. Okay, we'll bite. Give me a couple of policies. Oh, boy. I, I, <laughs> I, I would love to see the next president, regardless of, of um, – who who that is, um, sit down and say, okay, my first objective is corporate tax reform and let's, um, and let's uh, get people from both sides of the political aisle and talk about and build a base on what we agree on rather than focusing on the polemics. Um, and and I, I think that would, that would really lift a gray, a gray cloud. And I think it would be pretty easy because I think reasonable people on both sides of the political aisle, you know, agree on l- large portions of what needs to be done on c- corporate taxes. And that's, that's just the beginning. Um, another concern I have uh, lurking beneath the surface that I think has definitely had a negative impact on, on the pace of economic growth, particularly capital spending, is the growing web of the regulations and it's not the things we see in the headlines it's the fine print and the implementation of a lot of regulations not in the financial sector but in the non-financial sector that is 
on the margin leading businesses in, in a number of industries to temper mm-hmm. back their expectations. Just published moments ago, Thomas Edsel, the great liberal, uh, an essay in the New York Times on Mr. Trump in all. Mark, Mike, Mike McKee and, and Mickey Lee, there's a wonderful statistic in here from Lucas Carabanunas of uh, Booth School of Chicago. Mike, you just attended their uh, wonderful panel. Yep. Labor share of our economy is down 12% from 69% to 61%. I mean, that's that's a structural change. When Larry Summers talks about secular stagnation, that's a definition. Labor is getting a smaller pie. Why is that, Dr. Levy? Why is it, is it that we've innovated ourselves out of jobs formation? 69% to 61%. Over a generation. I think part of the reason is the change in the composition of GDP. High, a higher portion is in service-producing industries, some of which are high-productivity, high-paying jobs, but, but a large number are in lower-productivity jobs that command or, or are associated with uh, lo- lower wages. And I think that's, that's clearly one of the factors. The other is the measurement issue. Okay, um, there is a growing wedge between business costs of employing people and those workers' take-home pay. And so if that decline in the labor share of GDP um, reflects just take-home pay... Sure, if it's pay versus unit. Yeah, right. And I think, th- I think that's important. And, 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 and so this is one of the areas where um, I would love to see... Uh, higher productivity and, and higher compensation well, for, for skilled workers. We, we, we've got to do that. Mickey Levy with us. We're going to come back on what has been the theme through the morning, which is the efficiency of the economy, the productivity of the economy. As you all know, it's flat on its like Mike, is this an okay? I mean, you and I don't have real jobs. We know that. We go from Greenspan, Vin Weber, the senator from New Hampshire, Judd Gregg, Robert Gordon, Alan Kruger, Michael Darda, Levy, Onto a guy named Gross. I mean, this is pretty good, huh, Mike? This is pretty good, and the great thing is we get to share it with all of you listening. And yeah. stay tuned because uh, what a great show today. And it's uh, out on our podcast. We're pleased to announce, again, free, and you can subscribe iTunes. Mickey Levy, not only the entire show, for those that desire that, but individual podcasts as well. We've had a huge jump start to this and hope to roll it out over the next coming days. Again, an important interview, 1.30 this afternoon, Mark Halperin in conversation with a former governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Mitt Romney. Look for that at 1.30 uh, this afternoon. Without question, the interview of the day. Time now to check with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Donald Trump's Republican presidential rivals came out swinging at last night's debate. They echoed party establishment figures that Trump is a phony, but Trump, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and John Kasich all said at the end of the debate that they would support the nominee. Brazilian police are questioning former President Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva in a corruption case. Police are also searching his home. Diamond smuggling has cost Zimbabwe's economy more than $13 billion. That's according to Zimbabwe President Robert Mgabe. The state has created a new company to take control of the controlling mining. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists 
More than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. And Michael, thanks so much. We are 15, make it 19 minutes away from the jobs report. Again, beneath the headline data with Mickey Levy of Barenberg Capital Markets and then Bill Gross of Janus at Capital. Coming up next, this is what we want to talk about, the lack of America productivity. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. This news update brought to you by the New York Community Trust, where donors like you help them make New York better. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Futures are higher. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. Here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures have added to their gains since the last time we spoke. Dow futures currently higher by 36 points. Sesame's gained four. And Nasdaq futures rise by 15. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.83%. Main European markets except Italy are trading higher. Germany gains 1%. While in South America, Brazil jumps 3%. On the U.S. economic Friday, 30-day job numbers. Change in non-farm payrolls estimate 195,000. And after the Bellas Night, HP Enterprise EPS beat. Broadcom Q2 revenue view was in line. And Smith & Wesson boosted the EPS and revenue views. In deal news, Samsonite is buying Toomey for $26.75 a share. And AMC Theaters to buy Carmichael Cinemas for $30 a share. Finally, some of your key Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Brian Foreman cut to neutral over at Bank of America. Hewlett Packard Enterprise raised to outperform at Bernstein. H&R Block cut to market perform at BMO. Barclays cut to whole versus buy at Deutsche Bank. JCPenney raised to buy at Evercore ISI. Qualcomm cut to perform at Oppenheimer. And finally, Goldman Sachs, XL Group cut to neutral. And Monsanto cut to sell. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go. That's the Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. This Jobs Day, Bloomberg Surveillance, brought to you by Invesco. Invesco believes it's time to bench the benchmarks and to consider active management and factor-based strategies. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Uh, we move to Jobs Day. First of all, I do want to mention the series of headlines out of Brazil are simply stunning. We're not going to dwell on this a lot yeah, here as we go to Jobs yeah. Day. But markets explode higher. Petrobras rises 18%. Is President Lula, Mike, is it unfair to say under house arrest? Uh, It's hard to know his exact status. He's been detained by the police for questioning. They took him to the airport for security reasons. So um, it it isn't exactly clear what he uh, is is doing or the status. Brazilian Real Stronger. We've had a wonderful morning looking at our economic history, the broader themes. Mickey Levy of of Behringer Capital Markets with us. Mickey, let's fold into this immediate jobs report that we see in exactly 10 uh, minutes. It's about productivity, capital, labor, and technological progress. Give us the why we're flat on our back with productivity. I think part of it is a measurement problem. I see everywhere anecdotal evidence of technological innovations, not only new products, but 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 uh, improved production facilities and and capabilities. I see record breaking, near record breaking corporate profits, and then the productivity data are so weak. It, I think there is 
a mismeasurement problem that mm -hmm. the U.S. Uh, Department of Commerce will eventually get to, but it, it's a very technical issue. Let me just bring out an example. Um, all of you who are looking at your iPhones now, um, when you buy an iPhone, I'm looking at my because, iPhone. because it's because it's produced in China, it nets out to close to zero in GDP. Are you telling me that um, over the last seven, eight years, this has had uh, zero impact excuse on me, the economy? Excuse me, Mr. McKee. The sainted one needed a new iPhone yesterday. Uh-oh. It did not. Are we poor? It, it directly affected the GDP of the American <laughs> economy. I can assure you, Mr. Levy. You did your patriotic it, it, duty. It, 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 I did my patriotic duty and dropped a large amount of money on an iPhone for the but sainted it, one. But it netted out to z close to zero in GDP and did not push the productivity dial as measured. And I think there's a measurement problem. And it's not just Apple. It's just almost in every industry, you see technological advances, and it's just we're just not capturing it in the data. What do we? Uh, what do you think February is going to show? You have to follow it on a day-to-day -day basis, and with the with the disclaimer that, of course, one month is uh, not enough to uh, you know really get a trend. But what what do we think? I think it's going to be a healthy number. Um, in fact, it could be, uh, I think it's going to be a little over 200,000 on jobs. I think actually job gains have been a little too fast relative to GDP. But what I'm really looking at for in today's number is in January we had a, a nice increase in wages. If there's a, a second month in a row of healthy wage gains, um, on top of the, the recent nice news on consumer spending in real terms and the increase in the core PCE deflated to 1.7. I'm wondering if we get that, that that wage increase, it's not only very good for the economy, but it really puts the Fed into a box. Are they really data dependent? We're on the front doorstep of them achieving their long-run dual mandate. What will they do? Well, what will be the effect if they do raise rates? Why the what what is the IS curve, real economy effect, not to get to restrictive, not to get to accommodative, but to get off Stan Fisher's ultra accommodative given the data. Theoretically and historically, it should have close to zero impact on economic performance. The Fed's concern is, um, having uh, gone through uh, s several QEs, forward guidance, all of that was geared toward uh, keeping rates low, encouraging portfolio managers globally to take more risks. And now one of the, Fed, one of the Fed's largest concerns is the reversal of that portfolio balance effect that they so touted for several years. Mickey Levy, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Levy is with Berenberg Capital Markets. As we get ready for uh, the jobs report, we'll see that here in six minutes or so. Uh, well, we should note uh, 195,000 jobs, forecast 4.9% unemployment, and a two-tenths gain in wages. Those are the headline numbers we'll be watching. I will look at the revisions, which and I think are always important. Robert Gordon said he is, uh, he is going to be looking at the labor yes. force participation rate. He said that's the key number for the economy uh, going forward. It's uh, gotten you know, better. The prospects for the economy. Of course, he's looking at it from uh, the academic tower of Northwestern University where market economists are trying to figure out what the 10-year yield will do to four digits uh, at 832. Uh, we will do that with Bill Gross, 1.8286, 1.83% on the 10-year yield right now. Curve flattening over the last couple of days. Don't want to make too much about it. It's been range-bound, as is a lot of other 
Uh, data, the dollar fractionally weaker after a few good days. Uh, up this morning, and Michael McKee mentioned gold uh, elevated here an hour ago, 1261 the ounce uh, right now. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, please stay with us for this jobs report in five minutes. The report on the American labor economy. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, the With All Due Respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It is 8.30 on Wall Street. A surprise in the jobs report. Vinny Del Judice is at the first word desk with the numbers. Michael, a sizable gain, almost a quarter million new jobs added in February, up 242,000. Going into the report, economists had been looking for a gain of just 195,000. Also, payrolls the prior month revised up to 172,000. So a big number, almost a quarter million non-farm jobs added last month. We see the unemployment rate holding 4.9 percent, 8 year low. So the 4.9% on the unemployment rate. Average hourly earnings, a bit of a sore spot this month, down 0.1%. They had surged the prior month, registering the biggest increase in the year. Again, to recap, non-farm payrolls up 242,000 in February, more than forecast. January revised higher. We see a 4.9% unemployment rate, tying an eight-year low. Average hourly earnings down 0.1%. And the trade deficit also in, that widened to $45.68 billion in January. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Del Judice. Let's go back to New York. Thank you, Vinny. And the economic indicators today brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Tom, one important point. Ian Shepardson, Pantheon Economics, says there is a calendar quirk in February that likely accounted for the drop in earnings. So it may be a technical thing, and that will be something yeah. we won't know for a month or so, but certainly Wall Street well, has to like the job creation. It's, it's, they do. The interest rates higher. Uh, uh, equity futures rise up, up two, now up seven, and yields do much nicer, higher two basis points in the 10-year, 1.85%, and the two-year yield spikes up. Uh, we went through 0.86, right now 0.85, but nevertheless, a lift and curve, uh, a, a solid curve steepening here uh, off of the uh, report. Let me uh, point out, Robert Gordon told us to look at the yes, participation yes, rate. That. Jumps to 62.9% from 62.7. Yeah, absolutely. A real lift here. 4.9% on the unemployment rate. 272,000 jobs formed. And now, Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Television, we welcome all of you uh, worldwide. Bill Gross with us uh, this morning. We'll get to him uh, in a moment. Michael McKee and Tom Keene. And, uh, you know, I, I got to say, Michael, it's an extraordinary report this morning with a revision, a positive 30,000. 
Yeah, 272,000 jobs over the last two months, according to the revisions, and that is way ahead of where people thought we would be. Bill Gross with Janus Capital joins us now after a quick digestion and markets lifting on the move. Bill, uh, we are creating jobs. I see the temporary employment dynamics and all. Are these good jobs we're creating? Well, that's the question. Are they good jobs? Um, you know, I suspect that uh, some of them are, are not great jobs. Uh, some of them are at uh, minimum wage and a little bit higher. And, um, you know, the, the average income of, of American workers is proceeding higher, but not at a very rapid pace. I noticed that the hours worked in this yeah. particular report didn't increase. Yes, the participation rate went up, and I think uh, Yellen and company would be uh, heartened by that because uh, to the extent that it keeps going up, it means more and more people are coming back into the workforce and takes pressure off of their uh, Phillips curve and off of their uh, Taylor model. So it, uh, it it's not exactly a a robust model from the standpoint of a hike. Uh, it may be a robust uh, model from the standpoint of increasing economic growth, which I expect in this quarter to be about 2%. How far away from normal is Janet Yellen's Fed? I think they're at, at least um, 100 to 200 basis points higher in their dots uh, than normal, and the, the normal is really being fought out uh, in academic circles. Most of the research has come from the San Francisco Fed. Um, they say that uh, at the moment that a 0% real uh, you know, Fed funds rate uh, might be the appropriate rate, which would put it uh, about at 1.5%. Uh, the blue dots are significantly higher in the out years. And so, um, you know, I, th- I think the Fed still has some rethinking to do. But l- let me mention a point on that, Tom. I think the Fed uh, basically... They're not faking the numbers, but uh, they want the market to um, to believe that that hikes might come sooner and faster than expected, and that means a positive yield curve. Uh, this economy, the finance industry, banks, insurance companies, all need a positive yield curve to uh, to make substantial profits. And so to the extent that those blue dots are higher than what they might really think, if they really thought about it, uh, then, uh, you know, that favors bank margins, and I I think what they're really shooting for is a positive yield curve as opposed to being practical in where the the real interest rate is going. Well, the question, Bill, is if you look at the projections the Fed made in December for the economy in 2016, we've basically hit all those benchmarks. So are they data-dependent or not? How is the market supposed to divine where the Fed is going (laughs) if they tell you we're going to raise rates based on these forecasts and then they don't? Well, they're global data dependent, and they don't want to admit that. They want to uh, pretend that they're the central banker for the United States. In fact, they're the central banker for the world, and they have global responsibilities because the dollar is the reserve currency. They won't really uh, put that in print. So uh, to the extent that uh, currencies move, to the extent that uh, markets have sinkholes uh, on a global basis, to the extent that emerging market countries do worse, they've been doing better in the last few weeks, um, then the Fed takes that into consideration. And so data dependency extends beyond the U.S. economy, although the Fed doesn't really want to admit it. Well, are we still worried about the dollar? The dollar has basically not moved over the last month and a half. Trade-weighted dollar has actually gone down, the trade-weighted dollar index. Even with this jobs report, there's uh, barely a move uh, in the uh, dollar index. Uh, Is that still a real concern? 
Well, it's a concern because of the lags. There's a six to 12 month lag, as you know, Mike, and uh, we're going to be seeing the effects of a stronger dollar for you know, at least another six months. But yes, uh, the dollar has stopped going up, certainly against many of the emerging market countries. Mm -hmm. uh, gosh, in Brazil, it's, uh, it's down by 10, 15 percent. Um, so uh, it's getting better from that standpoint. And uh, to the extent that the dollar does weaken, you know, that's a benefit as well for S&P 500 global companies that, uh, you know, have been affected by the strong dollar in the past. And now we'll see the tailwind going right. forward as we move into 2016. If you're just joining us on Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio Worldwide and across the nation, after the jobs report, Bill Gross of Janus Capital, Mr. Gross driving the markets higher. No, wait, Mike, it was a jobs report. Futures <laughs> up 2, now up 11. Dow futures up 85. And we've seen some significant yield moves, Mike. Buttressing out, I can give you the recent high, the recent high off the Bloomberg, January 27th. And we came down, down, down here, and we've come right back up and now broken out on the two-year uh, yield. Down we go and up, up, up into a higher yield. Michael McKee, the 10-year yield up four basis points, 1.87%. Well, Bill, what's the proper pricing for uh, bonds right now, for the yield curve right now, given the fact that the economy seems to be coming back more strongly, but the Fed doesn't seem to be ready to do anything. Well, let's look at this two ways, Mike. Uh, one, from the standpoint of what the Fed would do uh, over the next 12 months, uh, you know, the market has factored in a one hike uh, and then one hike uh, in the year beyond that. Uh, perhaps that's a little light, and so that would suggest Perhaps that the tenure um, is at a relatively low level compared to where it should be. Let's compare it, though, to the global market, and that's a, a key relative measure. I mean, Japanese tenures and Japanese 30 years have gone down by 30 or 40 or 50 basis points in the past four or five weeks. And, uh, of course, we have to compare the U.S. Treasury tenure to the German Bund tenure and, and take a spread there. And so it's not just what the Fed might do, but it's the comparison relative to global markets. And global markets, no doubt, are pulling down U.S. rates. And to the extent that Draghi, you know, next week, uh, you know, continues to go into negative territory and to the extent that uh, uh, the BOJ continues right. to move down into negative territory, then the U.S. Treasury is supported to some extent in price and uh, yields are capped right. to some extent. Bill, help me here with the oddities of the moment. I don't mean the San Francisco 40. Niners or American politics. I would suggest, Bill Gross, would you explain negative rates and what it means for Janus Capital and for your unconstrained portfolio? Well, sure. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you only want to invest in negative rates if you think they're going more negative. That would produce a higher uh, price in terms of a bond. We don't really do that because uh, we think the, the move is limited and you can only go so negative before uh, domestic economies become uh, affected by it and it becomes destructive. What, what we're trying to do is basically range-bound uh, central banks. We believe that central banks won't move far, that they won't move fast, um, that these uh, 50 basis point hikes in the Fed and even less in terms of the UK and Japan and uh, the ECB, you know, that it produces right. a relative stasis. It doesn't mean that rates don't move four basis points on a morning. Right. But it does mean that the 10-year is bound within a 20-plus or 20-minus range, and so we sell okay. volatility around that, and it produces a much higher yield than a relative Okay, we're going to come back. Bill Gross with us with Janus Capital on television and radio uh, worldwide. Bill Gross, this Jobs Day. 
Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at CIT.com. Put knowledge to work. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. U.S. stock index futures are extending an advance as steady job gains added to optimism on the economy as it weathers a global slowdown. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures are up 7 points. Dow E-mini futures up 59. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 21. The DAX in Germany is up 1.1 percent. CAC in Paris up 1.3 percent. And the FT100 is up 8 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 9.30 seconds. The yield 1.86 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.84 percent. Nymex crude oil up six tenths percent or 20 cents to 34.75 a barrel. And Comex gold is up a dollar ten. That's about a tenth of a percent to 12.59.80 an ounce. The euro, a dollar 09.22. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much again. As Karen mentions, a lift to the market, 30,000. The revisions, you strap that onto the statistic, and you get a. I'm going to say near 300,000 uh, gain in payrolls, not you know, not near, but 270 uh, something that is pretty uh, good, and you see wages as well. Right now, Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio Worldwide, as always, this Jobs Day, the generous support from Janus Capital, his unconstrained fund, Bill Gross, uh, with us as well. Michael, jump in here on the job economy, the research you've seen in the last uh, 15 minutes or so to Mr. Gross. What, what's your key insight? Well, I think people are surprised, Bill, by how strong hiring continues to be, given the fact that we have created so many jobs for so long and the unemployment rate is so low. Uh, the markets are going to ha- are the markets going to have a tough time accepting the fact that at some point we're going to slow down, but 150,000 jobs would still be a strong month. Well, it would be. Uh, let's face it, the Fed, though, is, is keen on, on wages. They, they focus on labor and, and labor conditions. And to them, uh, you know, if, if wages get out of hand, then inflation will get out of hand. You know, we noticed this month, although there may be an aberration, as you've noted uh, 10 to 15 minutes ago, that, uh, you know, average hourly earnings uh, went down from 2.5 to 2.2 percent on a annual YOY basis. And so, uh, you know, definitely wages are uh, and hourly earnings are not out of control. If you factor in productivity perhaps at uh, 1%, then, you know, you've got inflation in the 1% category. It seems to me that uh, the, the Fed needs to focus on um, on those conditions and, and know uh, that a 2% inflation rate uh, is perhaps a long way off. You know, the break-evens in the tips market, almost worldwide, but let's talk about the U.S., almost on all maturities from 5 to 10 to 20 to 30 years in maturity, um, the break-even inflation rate is about 1.4%, which means the market expects inflation for the next 30 years to be 1.4%. And so uh, why is the Fed so concerned about inflation when the markets seem to be telling it that everything's okay? Ordinarily, you would say, go with the market. But if they're expecting that kind of inflation for 30 years, somebody's got to be uh, wrong somewhere. 
Well, I think so. Um, you know, to my way of thinking, when uh, demographics kick in, uh, when the boomers really get old and demand uh, medical care and uh, stop spending uh, money on consumption, then things will change dramatically. And that, to me, means higher inflation. But at the moment, the market doesn't see it that way. And certainly, to be fair, you know, for the next five years or the next two, three or four years, inflation seems you know, well under control unless commodities get a bid. Uh, right. Oil being the best example, going to 40, 50, 60 dollars. You know, unless that happens, then inflation is contained, as we see by you know the wage numbers today. Uh, Bill, I want to congratulate you on your latest note off Janus Capital. We always read them, we always like them. There's never been a bad one. This one, folks, is extraordinary, and it leads with the Citigroup chart, which drives me insane. And I'm so glad, Bill, you did this. Christopher, <laughs> wander over here on Bloomberg Television. I'll put it out on Bloomberg Radio Plus. Citigroup. At $42 a share is a fiction. That's after a 10 to 1 reverse split. Here we go. Up we go to $500 a share. Down we go to $42 a share. You make it clear, Bill, you're worried about permanent damage in our American banking system. Can you support your former employee, Neil Kashkari, in reviewing our too big to fail banks? Well, my point wasn't exactly Neil's point, but Neil has a point. Uh, you know, there are banks that are too big to fail, and let's make sure that uh, we regulate them properly and that they have sufficient capital. I think they have been uh, recapitalizing, and they do have more capital than they had before. My point, um, by showing Citi at 500 and now at uh, 42, you know, basically said that many banks are, are like that, not to the same extreme, but uh, certainly in Europe with Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank, uh, their earnings power going forward, not the, not the fact that they might be vulnerable to, to bankruptcy because they're recapitalized, but their earnings power going forward is limited because negative interest rates and because the yield curve appears to be relatively flat and will continue to be flat for a long time. That means their margins, their NIMS, will be limited, and it simply means to right. me that, well, you know, ba banks are not a bad investment, but, you know, let's face it, they're in a new age with limited ability to increase earnings based upon this right. flat yield curve. But, Bill, critically, and Alan Greenspan speaks of this, you speak of this, our David Weston on Bloomberg Go pointed it out to me yesterday, credit growth is ramping up a little bit. Can you buy the idea that that's a symbol of a recovering America, or is that credit growth within banking a fiction? No, and I think we need it, and I think that's a critical element. You know, I'm monetarist. You know, I'm, uh, you know, sort of stuck on a on a uh, Hyman Minsky type of model where credit, you know, feeds economic growth. The, the two are related. Our finance-based economy depends on the perpetual creation of more and more credit, and so. Yeah, the, the rate is uh, three to four percent now. Perhaps it goes to five to six percent. I think in order to create a nominal GDP growth of four to five percent, which is what the Fed wants to do, they need to create credit growth uh, much higher than that because, uh, you know, it's been evident in the past 10, 15 years that you need a much higher rate of uh, credit growth in order to stimulate a certain amount of nominal GDP growth. And so it's getting better, but it's still in the 4% area. And as long as it stays there, it's underneath, you know, the cost of capital in the system, which is about 6%. And if you can only grow nominal GDP by uh, 
four, if you can only grow credit by 4% um, with the cost of capital in six, then uh, you know, nominal GDP suffers and you can't get out of the hole. So you know, credit growth is the key. You've got to find some way for the private system to generate it. The Fed has done their duty in terms of lowering interest rates and QE and all of that. But now the private system needs to take the bait. Some of it is occurring, but I, I, I think... They need well, much more. Can it be created? You argue in your latest note that we're seeing pushback from savers and regulators to the idea of ongoing credit creation. It sounds a lot like what Ray Dalio has been saying, that officially we're at the end of a long-term credit cycle. Uh, are, are you saying you're in agreement with that? Well, I think we are, and I think we've been there uh, in marginal terms for the last several years. I look at this, give me 30 seconds, I look at this as a monopoly game. We know what happens in monopoly. You get a certain amount of money, uh, you go around the board, you buy properties, you get $200 every time you pass go. Look at that as credit creation in terms of the system. Um, why players go bankrupt is that ultimately they have so many properties and not enough cash and they only get $200, $200, $200 as they go around the board. It's not enough credit that's being created. Basically what the Fed has to do is, is produce $300, $400, $500, $600 every time you pass go in order to keep the system solvent and to keep players playing the game. And at the moment, you know, the ideas that have come about in terms of negative interest rates and QE, it's now being advanced in terms of helicopter money, dropping cash. Um, you know, there are a number of ways to do it, but the private system needs more and more money to spend in order to generate the same amount of nominal GDP growth. You, you can't go around the board at $200 a crack without players going bankrupt. All right, Bill, in the final moments that we have with you, I think out of great respect for your heritage within finance, investment, and your study of economics, we must have you comment on how we try to get our presidential campaign to two conventions and then on to November. What have you observed in the last couple of weeks, and how does that affect the markets? Well, I think it ultimately will, and it depends on what happens. I mean, I was struck uh, last night by uh, Kasich coming out and basically saying it, <clears throat> that he wanted a coalition uh, to basically to, to fight Trump. And, and they all tes testified that, yes, they'd support the candidate. But uh, no one went beyond the point of uh, determining how that candidate would be chosen. I, I think if uh, the Republicans get to the convention and, and, and uh, choose a candidate based upon, you know, an inner circle, as opposed to the, the population as a whole, uh, that markets will definitely be affected. In effect, that will be a, a takeover by a small minority of, uh, of Washington, and that is not the way uh, democracy and capitalism works. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we better keep a keen eye on uh, what happens in, uh, at the convention as we go forward. Right. Bill Gross, thank you so much for your time. Very generous of you. Janus Capital, folks, I can't say enough. If you're on Global Wall Street, you must read Sunshine, Lollipops, and his essay on the American financial system. Must watch, must listen at 1.30 p.m. this afternoon. Our Mark Halperin in conversation with Governor Romney. Look for that. Worldwide, 1.30 this afternoon. With futures up two, down futures up 16. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs>